You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back uh, once again. And before I even get into what this podcast is about, I'm going to do a, a a quick turkey season recap. This past weekend, uh, I went out. I took my daughter out of school Friday, uh, and the plan was to hunt Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I did, and here is how it, how it worked. Set up, call, call, gobble, call, gobble, call, gobble, call, gobble, hand up, walk away, <laughs> and the toms would go away, um, and I would put myself in position, but as we all know, uh, I, I tried the blind thing with my daughter and I was kind of raised, uh, and, and taught how to turkey hunt the run and gun method. You keep moving, you keep moving, you set up, you keep moving. And that is hard to do with an eight year old who literally cannot sit still. And, um, we found that out the hard way, right? So we're sitting you know, it's the very first morning I take her to the best ridge on the farm. There are turkeys gobbling. There's three toms in a row, you know, kind of on this U shape and they're gobbling and they are working their way in. They, you know, they, they're responding to the call. I can hear them fly off the roost. They're coming in, they're coming in. And then my, I look behind me and my daughter is wrapped in this, this blanket to stay warm and she's bouncing. She's literally bouncing and then everything kind of went away. Now, was that, was that part, uh, was it, was it her fault that this, uh, you know, the Tom started working their way? I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of hend up birds this weekend. And, uh, so I felt like I was just chasing gobbles the, all the mornings. And then, uh, somewhere around nine o'clock, nine 30, uh, I think one morning they gobbled until 10 then after that it was over like there was no there was no chasing them at that point uh because my daughter was done like so what did i do i went out and i 
uh, went fishing with her and she loves to fish. It's a little bit more of an active activity. And so what we did was uh, we went fishing and we caught a lot of fish. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, just seeing her reaction, uh, although I'll, tell, I'll say that I'll say it this way. I wish I was in the turkey woods chasing turkeys, but just seeing her reaction when the bobber goes under it, to me is an awesome thing. So I had no problem giving up my time and taking her turkey hunting or taking her turkey hunting in the morning and then fishing. Um, and I got to tell you a little story about the first morning. So we were following these toms and I can tell she's like, dad, can we go home now? And I'm like, sweetie, let's go check out this field and let's go see what's in this field. And then we can come, you know, we'll come back and we'll see what happens. And sure enough, we get to this field and there's one strutter, there's about four or five jakes, and there's two hens or four hens all in this field. And so I said, hey, sweetie, do you want to try to kill this turkey? And, and once she saw them, she got kind of uh, re-energized about the whole hunt. So we creep around down in this creek. We come up. I wrap her in the blanket. I said, sit still right here and don't move. And she looks at me and she goes, dad, do you mind if I lay down? I said, absolutely not. And then she falls asleep. So here I am. I'm calling these, uh, calling these turkeys and the Jake's and the, and the Tom, and I think it was just like an old, a second year Jake or something like that. I mean, it was bigger and it was strutting and, uh, they, they go into the timber, the hens work their way by me. And then all of a sudden I hear a couple gobbles and it's that older Jake sounding off in the timber. So I call a little bit more and here they pop out of the timber on this field edge and they start working their way right towards us. And they're working their way. I'm calling a little bit. I'm set up in position to where they're going to cross right in front of me and I'm going to smoke that old one. And, and, and typically I probably wouldn't shoot a Jake, but I had my daughter with me, so I wanted to shoot something. And they get close and she kind of has one of those adjustments where she rolls over and she's like, <clears throat> and then she goes back to sleep and they pegged her hard and, and, uh, and they all popped their heads up and I, I lined up my gun and it was a long Hail Mary shot. And I, I don't know, I, I really wanted to kill a turkey with her, uh, with her, you know, with me. And I pulled the trigger and she about shit her pants. <laughs> she jumped up. She's like, what? And, uh, the Tom, I didn't, I didn't kill anything. And the Toms ran off. And, um, I, I honestly, I think I shot high and, uh, it, it went over their heads and they ran away and, the and my daughter was like what just happened what just happened so that was fun and uh and then the next morning it rained and the same story they gobbled and they responded and then all of a sudden they you know they hopped the fence into a property that i can't hunt so i couldn't follow them anymore so i go back uh, across the road and i'm calling and one responds so i set up and this is, you know, one thing about turkey hunting, and I think for me, what I've found out, and I'm never right, is when to use decoys versus when not to use decoys. And so I ended up shooting, um, uh, I didn't shoot shit, but uh, a Tom comes in, I see him strutting, and then I see a hen pop up right next to him, and he's kind of following her, and she walks 10 yards right in front of me. And I'm just waiting for him to follow her. And then another hen behind him kind of stops, 
you know, starts calling. And he kind of splits the difference between that hen and uh, where I think the hen was calling. And so he walks behind this big log, behind this brush. Then he turns around, he struts back where he came from. And then he turns around and comes back and he goes behind a tree. And I never had a shot at him. I needed him to take maybe two more steps towards this one, the hen that I could see that walked at 10 yards for like a 25, 30 yard shot. And he never did it. And then uh, the next morning was kind of this. And so then I I go back home and uh, I went fishing with my kids again. The third morning, Sunday morning, I go out, gobble. I mean, this one Tom was hammering. I heard him fly down and then he shut up. And I I had a good feeling he he was with Tom's or with uh, hens. So he ends up going back uh, down down into this big valley and then he goes up and across so i i get up i chase him and then i text i uh, you know I'm, I'm following basically following gobbles i'm, I'm gonna try to flank him at, at some point but then i text message uh the other guy who hunts on the property and him and his dad are on that part of the property uh, and so i decided i didn't want to ruin their hunt and i decided not to uh not to follow those toms and, and ruin their hunt but i decided okay i'm gonna go back across the road where the, they were gobbling at the other day and long story short there was another truck there and those three days were my turkey hunting season and it was fun it was awesome i enjoyed it i think i think next year i might put a little bit more time and energy into turkey hunting and I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. I definitely want to continue to involve my daughter. Uh, she had a blast while she was out there. And, you know, you know, as a parent, I'm realizing that you have to do things in small doses with these kids to get them hooked, right? It can't just be these big all-day sits and all-day moments. Uh, my daughter isn't quite there yet. My son's not there yet. Um, I wish I had one of those kids who was like, dad, when can we go? When can we go? When can we go? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, but they're just, they're just not there yet. I know at some point they will be, uh, that's the goal anyway. Uh, but I think next year I might do it a little bit different and, uh, really, really work harder for my Turkey, uh, my, uh, my Turkey, I guess, but I can say this with, all the certainty in the world turkey season is over and aside from going out and finding some mushrooms i have put all my focus like the eye of sauron in the lord of the rings book on whitetails and my western hunts i am i am freaking fired up and i am i'm in the process now of getting my uh getting my minerals out getting my trail cameras ready uh getting my cell cams ready and i'm gonna start scouting my ass off i'm gonna put up i'm gonna be running trail cameras i might even be buying a john boat to backdoor get on the river and backdoor pieces of landlocked public property or uh, backdoor public property uh in general and i'm i'm going all in this year and I'll tell you this, man, I, I'm going to let the trail cameras do a lot of the work. I'm not going to go cra- crazy, but I'm going to be fully focused on one thing, and that is whitetails in Iowa. I'm going to locate deer. I'm going to pick a handful to go after, 
and then I'm going to go after them. And whether that's here around my house, uh, on the couple properties that are here, on some of the surrounding public, or down home on my main farm, which I'm finding out is not as good as what it used to be. Regardless, there's still good deer on it. And uh, that's, that's the goal going forward. So stay tuned for more uh, out of that. However, we have a really good podcast today, and it is, it's about a guy from New York who decides to chase one deer for multiple years. And uh, the next podcast that comes out of this, uh, out of the Nine Fingers camp, is also going to be about a guy who chases one deer. So I feel like there's levels to this, right? You, you, You go to the brown, it's down. Then you maybe want to shoot bucks. Then you want to shoot a bigger buck and a bigger buck and a bigger bucks. And and then you, we come to this this plateau, and it's a hard one, or or the next mountain, however you want to look at it. And it's a hard one to get over. And that is becoming successful, finding one deer and killing one deer. My my property just really isn't set up for that. Uh, I personally think I think there's a lot of deer who. Uh, on the properties that I hunt who rotate in between several properties and they're more on some kind of a cycle and a rotation than actually calling those properties home and having a a bed to feed pattern on those properties. I think there's a little bit more movement to their core areas than that. So um, that's what today's podcast is about. That's what the next episode's going to be about. So I hope you enjoy um, all the information that's coming out of that. We got to do a quick commercial here. I know I've been uh, ranting for a while now, but uh, I'll keep these two short. Wasp broadheads are like, I, I say this all the time and, and I, 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 I have to find new ways as a content creator to tell you the same thing. And that is that wasp broadheads are badass. Uh, I have never had a mechanical, a wasp mechanical broadhead fail on me. Um, and obviously fixed blades don't fail, but the damage that a fixed blade does on a, let's just say a shitty shot. Like in 2013, I took a hard quartering uh, shot. It hit a little back, uh, or a lot back, but I got a shit ton of penetration and, uh, that, that arrow setup with that that head, the Boss Four Blade, did some absolute damage. And this year, the mechanical that I used, the jackhammer, I, I I went through a shoulder and I destroyed front side lung, trachea, and uh, carotid artery. And I'm telling you right now, the blood trails, the blood trail on that one was absolutely easy to follow. Right? I, you didn't need, you didn't need. I mean, you could. You didn't need to get on your hands and knees. Damage. And that's what kills the animal, right? And so so you want damage. And uh, I'm very confident with my wasp broadheads. Um, They're an American-made company. Those two heads are made in the United States. And the people behind the company are participants in the market that they're advertising to. And they have excellent customer service. So no matter what you're a fan of, whether it's mechanical or fixed blade, go to wasparchery.com and check out uh, your favorite heads right they have mechanicals and fixed bait blades mine are the mechanical that is the jackhammer and the boss four blade which if i draw my elk tag this year that's what's going to be on the front i think is going to be on the front of my uh arrow so confident in those products and the second uh one vortexoptics.com 
This is an American-owned company, a veteran-owned com- company based out of Wisconsin. And I could sit here and read, you know, all of the accolades that these guys get, but they are a leader in the optics industry, and not just for in the hunting space, but all optics, right? So, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the company. They have not and again the products speak for themselves excellent products you don't get to the top of your industry by having shitty a shitty product you you get to the top of your industry by having the best products and not only do they have the best products but the cherry on top of all this is the customer service right they care about the outcome of their end user and they care so much that they want returning business and one way they do that is by giving away free stuff and that is through their vip warranty right so if you damage your binoculars if you break them if you uh run over them with your truck your dog chews on them a grizzly bear eats them and then craps them out the back end collect them put them in a box and send it to vortex and they will fix it and send it back to you for no charge vip warranty so uh, these guys have spotting scopes range finders red dots uh, rifle scopes uh, binoculars i mean you name it they got it vortexoptics.com go check them out all right we've done the commercial we've done the intros Let's get into today's, I don't know, one buck hunter profile success story. Not really a success story. Hunting strategy. We'll, I'll put that hunting strategy uh, podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy and uh, we'll talk to you on the back end. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Brendan Whalen. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Dan? Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, let's see. It's springtime. Uh, first off, where do you live? Uh, I'm in Southern New York. Okay. In, uh, Orange County. Okay. Southern New York. Uh, are you a turkey guy? Are you going out turkey hunting this spring? Uh, I'll, I'll be going out. Yeah. I wouldn't consider myself a turkey guy per se, but yeah. Yeah. I, I hunt turkeys sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you're a, you're a turkey guy during turkey season. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing with me. I, I'm not losing sleep over it. I don't, I mean, I get excited during the whole process of getting out there and, and, and focusing on the turkeys and whatnot. But as soon as the season ends, I don't go, Oh man, I wish I can't wait until next Turkey season. I just like kind of flip the switch and go, okay, whitetails. Now it's, now it's other things. So, um, so today we're going to be talking about pretty much one particular deer who you kind of watched for a handful of years and had an opportunity and maybe it didn't go the way you wanted it to. And we're going to, we're going to talk about the the learning curve, the strategy and all that, that goes into this uh, particular story. But before we get into that, why don't you tell everybody where you live and what do you do for a living? Uh, Like I said, I'm in Southern New York in the tri-state area. I'm pretty much 10 minutes from Pennsylvania, 10 minutes from New Jersey uh currently i'm a new york state trooper here in the area and that's uh where i'm at right now okay so what what shift do you work are you the are you the day shift or are you the night shift uh it varies from you know week to week but i try to stick to days yeah man i I tell you the way this world goes you know i used to i used to think 
and this is the the ignorant part of me. I see a cop sitting in a car, and maybe he's uh, got the speed gun out, and he's you know checking speeds on people. And I'm like, God, what an easy job! What an easy job! And then I see the YouTube videos of some guy you know, who's hammered drunk or high on methamphetamines trying to fight a cop and the cops got to basically wrestle him to the ground and all that dangerous, scary shit, you know, um, that made, that has now made me rethink and go, man, I, I would never, ever want to do that job. So kudos to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh different from day to day. That's for sure. Yeah. So, um, any, any like crazy stories or well, I, I tell you what what's the fastest that you've ever pulled somebody over for going oof um the fastest i've ever caught somebody going would be 119 119 and is that on like a busy interstate or a back road or what yeah that's on our local interstate here man what kind of car was it uh, it was a Mercedes little sedan, if I remember. Okay. And it was a real young kid. Okay. So at, at 119, do you just go straight to jail or do you get a speeding ticket like, <laughs> like a regular speeding ticket? Uh, it all depends on the interaction, but, um, at that point it was just a regular speeding ticket. Uh, you could, you know, get them for reckless driving, uh, yeah. but that's a little bit, uh, yeah, that's crazy. My buddy keep it, at the, keep it at the speed ticket. Yeah. So my buddy uh had a Mustang in high school and he was always afraid to like drive it really, really fast. And uh I can just remember one night taking it out on uh some back blacktops, you know, in rural Iowa where I grew up and just you know, as fast as that freaking thing could yeah. go. And I, you know, I think, I don't know if we ever hit 120, but we were, we were into the low teens, I think a couple of times. And it, uh, I tell you what, it's just driving that fast is scary. So knowing that there's people out there who drive that fast and they're operating a cell phone or, or like messing with the radio is like, <laughs> I'm surprised accidents don't happen more often. Oh, they sure do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you would not believe it. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. All right, so let's get into this uh, this story, right? And, and you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you, you gave this particular buck uh, a name because uh, and we're and and we're going to use this uh, this name for reference uh, throughout this story. So why did you call this particular buck King? Uh, and uh, I guess uh, kind of walk us through the, uh, you naming him. Um, so it didn't really come about like, oh, I have to name this deer. What, how it all started, uh, we saw me and my wife, I just got her into bow hunting around the same time. So we'd be going out together, and we first saw this deer as a three-year-old in 2017. And uh at the time, I was trying to get her a good deer because she had never shot a buck before. She'd taken a couple of does, um, so she she was looking for a good representative. She didn't want to take, you know, fourth year a spike, which I can totally, I guess I could respect it. But me, I remember when I was first coming into bow season, anything with horns was going down. Yeah. You know, um, so the name King came about just because every time we would see him, most of the time we would see him on the on the cameras and 
there'd be deer milling around and every time he came in everything else was gone he, he was just pushing every every other deer around you know when he walked in you know the deer seas kind of parted and he he was the the boss of the property pretty much so yeah that's how that name came about saying oh there's the king buck again he's pushing all other deer around and it just stuck that way yeah well i'll tell you what man when you have a a deer like that it i would get like me personally i get excited because i know um, from my experience that aggressive deer like that tend to die faster by hunters because you know how it is a, a dumb three-year-old or whatever will run into a, any rattling sequence you know they they don't try to sneak down wind like an older buck would or uh you know or come into a grunt or whatever the scenario type is you know they're a little bit more susceptible to calling than uh, a bigger buck and so when you like when you found out that he was an aggressive deer, did you kind of say to yourself, "Hey, that might actually be a uh, give us an opportunity to kill him through calling"? Uh, it didn't cross my mind initially uh, because the first year we started keeping track of him. Like I said, he was a three-year-old, but he wasn't the biggest uh, rack deer on the farm. Okay, uh, there was a couple other eight-pointers that were. Uh, a little bit bigger than him that we were going after that were we were thinking for so we we're happy to see him around to, for the next couple of years but um we weren't he wasn't a target at the time okay now, so, you know uh, yeah not on your radar i'll say for myself but for my wife if, if my wife was going to get a shot at, yeah absolutely we would have taken him but yeah he wasn't on my radar yet gotcha so what's the deer quality uh in southern new york like um, I would say it's about equal to other Northern, uh, Northeastern states, you know, Michigan, PA, Jersey. Um, in the past couple of years, I've seen a big increase, uh, with everyone honestly doing more quality deer management, um, letting deer get age on them. There's been a big bump up in, uh, quality, but overall it's, you know, if you, have some encounters with 120s 130s that's that's a good day okay and you mentioned you had some other uh bucks on your farm on uh, back and this was in 2017 right yes okay so 2017 is the first year you kind of uh this this buck hit your radar but he's not for you he's not uh of shooting caliber yet so what else did you have on the farm in 2017 that was uh kind of catching your attention and, and, uh, what was the, uh, you know, and, and what kind of deer were they? Um, I had one deer that I was, that was honestly the only buck that kind of made the cut for me. There's, there's a bunch of deer on this farm. It's an ag field. Um, the property is all, well, I, I should say the, the neighboring property is all ag land. It's about 300 acres of ag on either side. Um, and our property there, it's my father-in-law's property. He's got 96 acres over there that he graciously lets me run rampant on. Yeah. Uh, so super thankful for, for that. But his property has been in the CREP program, which is like a, the CRP program in New York for the last 15 years. So we couldn't do too much with it um, up until 2018 is the last year that it expired. So gotcha. Okay. Um, it was hard. It, it's a hard property to hunt. Gotcha. There's, there's really no timber. Right. So talk to talk to me a little bit about the the terrain, then the landscape, and what the deer 
typically do on that farm uh, and how maybe you approach hunting it? Uh, so the way I approach hunting this property, like I said, it's, it's, I would say 90 of the 96 acres is all CRP uh, fallow for the past 15 years. So I have a couple pinch points, uh, one at the front of the farm and one at the back of the farm where there's uh you'll see there's a river that goes to the back of the farm where there's some timber and it gets thick on either side of the property into the adjacent properties where they have some decent timber. Um, so the deer will come in and out and I'll hit those basically set up on those transition areas where they're coming in and out of each property transitioning over. And I mean, a good, a good amount of the deer too will stay on our property, primarily the younger bucks and the doe, the doe, uh, doe groups because the, CRP, the farther back towards the river you get, it gets 10, 12 foot in some, some fields. So it's, there's decent bedding there, but um, the mature bucks are really hugging those, the timber that's running along the, the river there. Yeah. So it's not like they're wandering all over the property. They, they stick tight to the, the main travel corridors, like the two pinch points that you mentioned in the, in the river. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I tell you what, sometimes that can, you know, that property may not hold a ton of deer, but I'll tell you what, it, it really does narrow down in scenarios like that where you need to be, right? There's not a whole lot of thinking that goes into stand placement at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so 2017, this buck kind of, uh, you know, shows up, um, how many times did you see him from the stand or how many trail camera pictures did you have, uh, from him in, in, uh, I mean, was he a regular customer at that point? Uh, yeah, at this point we would, we would get plenty of pictures of him. No problem getting pictures front of the property, middle of the property and the back of the property. Um, but they're primarily right before dark and through the night. So I kind of figured he wasn't betting on us and he was sticking to those, uh, maybe the back corners of the property where it meets the neighbors, like I was saying, it gets thick in the timber there. It gets real thick in the bottomland and the swamp area towards the river. Yeah. Uh, but we did see him only one time uh, from the stand in 2017. Okay. So, so he's nocturnal at that point or just on the farm when you're not on the farm? Uh, yeah, he's primarily nocturnal, at least when he was on our property. Okay. All right. So the next, uh, question then is, um, only one time from the stand, right. And, and did any of that information, were you able to take any of that information from 2017 into 2018, uh, saying, okay, well, I saw him here. Uh, and then you add that with new trail camera picks from that. I mean, did he make, did he make the hit list in 2018? Yeah, definitely. And even from 2017, we kind of got a bead on him where he was coming from and where he was going to. So he'd be in the back of the property all summer. We get good velvet pictures, some in some in the afternoons and daylight uh, during the summers. But then uh, about the end of September, early October, he would transition to the front of the property and you'd get him up there much more more often. Gotcha. And the same thing happened 2018. Gotcha. So twenty in twenty eighteen, the CRP expired. Were you able to get in there and plant any types of food? Uh, yes. So that was like the first year that I had uh, had 
like I said, had had the run of the property and been able to implement a couple food plots. Um, I put in, so I'm, like I said, uh, the neighboring properties are primarily ag. They're about 300 acres, give or take. Uh, and they do, they transition their crop rotation every year. It's either corn or beans. Yeah. Uh, so I would do the opposite. So 2018, I planted uh, four acres of beans in the back corner there. Uh, where I believed he was betting coming off the neighbors onto our piece. Uh, so I planted, it was four acres there and it was about 300 acres of corn next door. Okay. And then, so at that point, uh, you, you were able to put some food in and is this food that you pl- had planned on just for deer hunting? I mean, it, it wasn't for any type of ag purposes. It was strictly food plots for deer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we we uh, we get the seed here through our local QBMA branch, which is now NDA. Um, me and my buddy, we started a local branch here. So he's the president on the VP. So we get in on that seed program uh, from the Midwest, and that's where we got our soybeans from that year. Oh, okay, cool. So you got the you got the. I tell you, I'll tell you this. Let me ask you this: Was there any learning curve? when it came to planning a food plot for the first time or, or have you done that before? Um, I've done small plots like quarter acre plots with, you know, clover and chicory mixes, but nothing uh, as substantial as this. So yeah, it was a, kind of a learning curve. I, I did uh, watch a bunch of YouTube and my buddies are all farmers in the area. So I picked their brains a bunch, but, uh, and you know, I didn't have these crazy tractors or anything like that. Um, at the time. So borrowing friends, buggies, and just, you know, bro- I basically just broadcasted it, worked the ground up real good, broadcasted it in and then drug it with a four wheeler until I couldn't see seed. And, uh, luckily it took very well. Good. Did you have to add any type of fertilizer to it? Uh, no, fortunately this area we're in, it's called the black dirt region. It's got some of the best soil in the country. So oh, cool. that is, that's real good. Weeds take off though. So yeah. that's the hard part. So did you have to spray? Yeah, we had to, I just had to do three good sprayings before I planted. Okay. And then, so you, uh, killed the weeds, you took, uh, messed the dirt up, broadcast the, uh, broadcast the seed. And then, uh, did you have to do any spraying after the, you know, all, everything came up or did you do a good job of getting that, uh, that, uh, I guess that bed of whatever they call it, the grass bed or whatever, all killed off? Uh, for the most part, it was pretty good, but uh, I did do one more spraying, I believe, in August, just because these were Roundup ready beans, so okay. we could spray over them and it wouldn't wouldn't kill them. Yeah, why not then, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so back to the the buck here. Um, was he on the property all summer while you were doing all these activities, or or like in the summertime, did he kind of uh, disappear while you were doing the food plotting and then eventually come back? Um, no, he, he stuck around. Um, I was pretty careful about when I would go in to do, um, any sort of activity that, I mean, like I said, before the ag land around, they're pretty used to the tractors and the four, the four by fours going up and down. So as long as I stuck to the the, the trail in and out, they, you know, it didn't, I didn't see any impact on them, but I also did most of my activities during, you know, the middle of the day, heat of the day when they were hopefully 
not anywhere near and gotcha. uh, i'll bet it down so gotcha and if it's a, a farming region right i'm sure they're used to some kind of uh um tractor implement activity uh similar to what they're like here in iowa yes very much so and that actually ties into the buck i ended up killing this past season oh okay all right cool all right so um king is on the property all through 2018 correct Yes. Yes. Okay. And then, so you, you're getting good pictures of him. Um, you're going into the the season now. Uh, he makes he's he's officially on your hit list, right? So now that he's not like he's not not on your hit list, right? Do you still give your wife kind of first dibs at at him, or is this kind of uh, hey, uh, I'm I'm going after him now? Um. So. That was to be determined. Basically, whoever. <laughs> hey, I doubt your wife listens to this, so you can tell me the truth, man. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much she doesn't hunt as much as I do. Right. She, she basically does it to be with me more than anything else. Um, she likes to just be out there, yeah. you know, enjoying my presence. So uh, she definitely would have shot this deer. I would have loved for her to shoot this deer if the opportunity arose. Um, and like I said in the beginning, she wanted to hold out for a decent buck. So she was passing up. She, I got, I got to give her credit. She didn't shoot a deer until uh, 2019. And, you know, she, she passed up plenty of good deer that I would have taken with my first, my yeah. first arrow. So, yeah. So when it comes now to this buck, um, he's on your radar. Are there any other deer on the farm, uh, maybe from previous years that were already on the hit list, uh, or is King now the top dog on the farm? Uh, yeah, he is the only good buck that we had on the property up until this point. So he was the number one. Okay. So let me ask you this, you know, um, on some of the, the farms that I hunt, there's, there's big shifts that happen, right? You have, uh, for example, and, and I say this almost every time we get into a, a, a topic like this, um, summering on my farm, on the farm that I hunt is awesome. You know, if, if I was to base what I was going to shoot in the, uh, you know, in the fall by summertime trail camera picks, man, I'd be knocking down booners every single year. Right. But there's a shift that happens and then all the deer kind of disperse into different places and I'm left with whatever's left. Right. And I think there's this huge jock, this, you know, this positioning where they fight each other and they kind of establish who's going to live there and, and, and then the does and whatnot. So, um, there's a huge shift and a, a ton of deer leave the area, uh, when September hits, what's the, what's that shift like if you have a shift or is it kind of the same deer chill there all year round? Uh, it's pretty much identical to what you just described. We have, I can't even tell you how many bucks on the property um, all summer long. They're they're all over the place. You barely ever see a doe. Um, and then end of September comes and they just start trickling out and only a handful stick around. Yeah. Cool. Um, so do you, in the summertime, do you ever get your hopes up and like, well, I, I mean, you've already kind of told us that King is the number one deer based off trail camera pictures. And you're kind of lucky that you have all this past history with him, you know, from 2018. Uh, did you, what, what was your, what was your, uh, 
your gut feeling going into the 2019 season then? I mean, did you think to yourself, man, I think I'm going to have a good encounter with him now that I got, I've done all this work. I've got food here and uh, you know, this buck is typically a homebody or did you, were you still kind of sitting on the fence of if this deer was going to give you an opportunity? Yeah. So I, I figured he would stick around cause he was always the, the top dog in the area and he was very consistent on pictures. Um, he was all over the place. Uh, he wasn't hiding, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I was pretty confident we were going to see him again 2019. But the only thing was, in 2017, we only had the one encounter when he was three. 2018, we didn't see him once from the stand. We, we saw him once when we were we had an evening hunt there, and me and my wife were packing up, and we turned out of the property, and right in the headlights coming off the property, there he is, in the middle of the road with two does. Yeah. And that was mid-October. So that was the only time we saw him in 2018. So the only problem was that we were worried about, you know, trying to get encounters with him in the daylight. So yeah. that's when I kind of shifted gears and got real serious in 2019. Okay. Because uh, it would be, a, yeah. So that's crazy. And I've, I've, because, you know, when someone says to me or, you know, starts talking about a specific buck, dude, he was all over the place. We saw him, you know, all this, all this stuff. Guess who else has seen him? the neighbors right especially yeah, in a right. in a state like new york where you guys are you guys got hunters all over the place so um yep. trail camera pictures however you only saw him one time with your own eyes but were you getting trail camera pictures of him on the regular throughout the 2018 season yes okay were were you kind of understanding his movement at that point with that with that trail camera information yeah, 2018, he really started to show his his patterning, if you will. Yeah. Um, like I said, in 2017 and 2018, it rang true. He transitioned from the back of the property in September, the last week of September, first week of October, to the front of the property. Okay. Um, and I, I, my best guess is because all the food comes up next door and it's closer to our property um, where all the corn and beans back up to from the neighbors. So there's a the front stand that I ended up setting up for him specifically is the front pinch point where I thought it was way too open and way too, you know, too sparse of a spot to even set up. But, yeah. I, you know, to where we got the most pictures, most coming in and out of the property all different times of the day and night. So yeah, that's what we ended up locking down on. I'll tell you what, and I'm looking at the map of the property that you sent me and I'll, I'll tell you this this is a perfect example of how deer use terrain because if i had to guess from the road you can't see that spot where they're crossing it looks wide open from if you're in it and you're standing there but the road and maybe other parts of the farm it's the low it's like the lowest spot of the surrounding area is that right yeah it's it's the, the road up to the left there is very high up there's a it, it dips way down to where the stand is in the front and then that red uh line towards the back of the property that's just a dirt road to get in and out to yeah. access the place yeah so they can go through that um through that transition fairly safely because they they're not skylined at all exactly okay cool all that, right that that pinch point there in front of the stand there that is the lowest spot of the property so they come from north to south uh, going on to the 
coming out of the CRP, which yeah. I believe they bed up near the road. It gets thick up there, and they come down, work their way through that transition area, and over to the property next door. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you're starting to figure uh, figure all this stuff out, and you know, were you able to make any moves on him during the 2018 season that you thought, oh shit, I got these trail camera pictures now, let's make a move. Did you do that, or was it kind of too little, too late at that point? Uh, in 2018, I was being real careful um, just because I didn't want to blow the opportunity. So I was letting the cameras tell me what to do for the most part. I was yeah. looking at cold fronts, um, but I was really being real careful. I think I was being too careful, and I honestly stayed out of the woods more than I think I should have at this point. Right, right. Trying to tiptoe around them to wait for the right opportunity, but. Yeah. So you, you kind of felt that like you weren't aggressive enough. Yeah. Okay. All right. So with, you know, with that said, then no encounter, no, no in the stand encounters. Um, as you start to get into a season and I've been to the point where you start chasing one particular deer and you're making all your moves for one particular deer. Um, and then you start to get nervous. And then you're just like, Jesus, man, I hope no one else kills him. I hope nobody else kills him. I, I'm, I want to kill this deer. And, you know, maybe he goes nocturnal or maybe he disappears for, uh, a, uh, you know, another, uh, like for a week or something and he pops back up for a day. And then, you know, did you ever get that nervous feeling like, uh, he wasn't going to make it through the season? Oh yeah. Because as soon as rifle season rolls in, it's not even worth sitting anymore. Yeah. Honestly, it's just. It's World War Three down here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, but he makes it, right? I mean, um, when does your season officially end in that area? Uh, it ends in, right before Christmas. Okay. That's the rifle season or the hunting season in general? Yeah, the hunting season in general. So it, uh, the rifle season comes in around the 21st of November, and it runs until about the second week of December, if I remember, and then there's a week of muzzleloader, and then that's it. Okay. So after the season was over, when was the first time you got a trail camera picture of King after the season was over? 2019, or I'm sorry, 2018. After the season was over, I get pictures of him four o'clock in the afternoon in front of that new stand I put up, uh, I believe it was the first week of January. Okay. Towards the front of the farm. So he's, he's alive. Did he look healthy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he looked awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so he made it through the shotgun season. Uh, once again, now, um, now after that is over, did you have any more uh, plans on the property to improve the habitat to get him to stay or get does to stay in that area so you may have a little bit more of a better shot at him? Um, I planned on doing the food plots again. I planned on potentially looking for a different way to hunt them, maybe from the ground with uh, some kind of ghillie blind. Yeah. Uh, because the CRP does get real tall, um, but it was it was uh, it was all too much kind of. I, I want to say I was thinking about too much for too long a time, and I kept second guessing myself. Yeah, and uh, kiss so just right. Keep it with keep it simple, stupid. Right? right, right. Yeah, yeah. So like going into um, so you planted your food plots. 
uh, I mean, is he, is he a homebody at that point? I mean, is he just, is he on the property all spring, all, all summer? Yep. So I set up cameras in May and he's on there right away. I could tell he's got a little split in his ear and big bases and boom, he's there right away at the back of the property again. Okay. Um, and knowing what you knew in the summertime, did you have a strategy like, cause there's a lot of times where I say to myself, okay, if I'm going to go after a particular buck or I have, um, let's say three or four deer that I have history with, I want to, um, put some kind of a, a preseason game plan together. So I know like, okay, I know he's on this part of the farm the first couple of weeks of October, but he's nocturnal. So I don't even want to go in after him. All right. Well, you know, now I'm going to a different state to hunt. Well, now, you know, now I obviously don't get to worry about that. Um, but what he, what happens is now he shifts his core area and he starts looking for does late October. Maybe I can catch him here. Or if he, here's his rut route, you know, here's his rut routine. Did you, did you have any uh, preseason planning or strategy that you were trying to put together? And, and what was that to try to get him on 2019? Yes. So my preseason planning for this year was to implement the food plots again uh, because 2018 was the first year we we had that and it's it we saw an increase of deer on the property um and then all the rest of the crp fields i mowed them strategically um to have lanes that all met that ran up to the front of the property um so my thought was that he was either back by the food plots on the neighbors in the thick stuff or on the other side of the food plots on the first CRP field, because that was the nastiest field that gets almost 15 feet tall and real thick in the summer. Okay. So my hopes was that he was in one of those areas and by mowing up near him, it would give him, you know, the enticing road straight up to me, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you, you kind of almost, gave him the path of least resistance. Like you, you were trying to make a path of least resistance for him to walk in front of your tree stand. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. All right. So now the season's here, right? You know, he's on the farm at some point. Um, when does he start showing up? Like at what time does he start sh- shifting from that back part of the farm to the front side of the farm? Is there a specific week or or date that it, it seemed to be every year uh yeah usually it's the end of september okay um right before october so this year it was september 26th i got a picture of him at 6 a.m right in front of the stand that okay. was the first indication that i got that he was up in the front again okay and at this point does that tell you anything about the like because your openers october 1st right Correct. Correct. Okay. So did you say to yourself at this point, Hey man, maybe I, maybe I got an opportunity at him early. Uh, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, the first week of October. Yes. Yeah. I definitely thought that this was going to be like, you know, my best opportunity, even though it was a couple morning pictures, I tend to not hunt the first couple weeks of the season in the morning, but he was showing up, and uh, so I was going to make a move. Also, to throw it in here, another buck starts showing up middle of August that was around the same caliber as him that I had never seen and didn't know who it was. 
Okay. And he started showing up in the front of property as well. Okay. So um, it was almost like, now was this deer equal caliber to King or bigger? Yeah, he was equal. He, he, he was a little bit smaller um, rack wise. Um, body size King was just a horse. He was probably pushing 250. Okay. Big, a, giant, a big dog. Giant then. deer. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, now you have two deer on the cat on the, the farm that you would shoot, right? Or was there other deer that you yeah. had already considered shooters? Um, they were the two primary shooters. There was one other buck that I got a couple pictures of over a couple times throughout the summer, but he was never consistent. He, he was a crazy looking deer. He was an 11 pointer and he had a drop time on one side, which I'd never seen in New York before. And he had this crazy palmation on his left side. It was about five inches thick, but Damn. I had never seen that deer out of velvet. So and he only had come through the farm maybe three or four times throughout the, the season. The, sorry, the summer. The summer. So I wasn't yeah. holding my breath on him. So one of those deer where I'm not going to make any plans for him. If he comes, I'll shoot him. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. I gotcha. All right. Exactly. So, so the season gets here, right? And now when was your, did you have any first encounters with him? Kind of walk us through this timeline from October 1st to um, when, when you actually had your shootable encounter with him. All right, so I had a kind of a dilemma in the early season because this new buck that showed up, he was really consistent in the evening. So last week, uh, last week of September, he was walking out in front of that camera, right in front of my stand, 30 yards, you know, four or five o'clock in the afternoon and going right over to the neighbors into the corn. So I was like, oh man, this guy looks like he's too easy to shoot. Do I try to hunt King first and see if I can get on him later in the season or do I just take the opportunity? But uh, ultimately, uh, I didn't get to hunt the opener. I had to work that day. So October 2nd, uh, I hunt the evening. And this deer, the new deer, still showing up like clockwork almost every afternoon. Plenty of shooting money. Uh, so I sit, uh, first sit in in the new stand in the front. And lo and behold, this deer, I see him 100 yards out in the CRP, working his way in just, you know, real slow. And I'm like, no way. Like, I don't even want this decision, you know? You're right. Um, but so he's coming and coming and coming. I'm looking at him and looking. And I'm like, well, I can't pass this deer, you know? There's no chance. Uh, first sit of the season, it's, you know, 60 degrees. I'm in a T-shirt almost. Um, and he just comes in like clockwork right in front of the stand. Uh, so this is the first year, actually. I want to backtrack a second that uh, this, this season I got real serious with everything. So I bought an Ozonix. I switched to a back tension release. I shot every day, you know, possible. Yeah. As many arrows as I could just to, because now that I had these two, both of these bucks would have been the biggest buck that, you know, I had ever shot. Uh, so I was real serious. Uh, you, up, again, you upgraded some equipment another, and you just took your archery to the next level. Absolutely. Everything okay. I could do, you know, to be more than prepared. Right. So another thing I want to add, this this hunt, I've always seen the past couple of years when I was hunting King, um, that he would always come in on terrible winds for me. And when I would hunt, he would never show up because I was sitting good winds for me. So what I started doing this year in 2019 
is I got the Ozonics because I said, I'm going to sit on those marginal wins when they're more apt to show up. And, you know, it's a bad win for me. But yeah, cut the wind. Got to hunt when they're showing up. Yeah. So that's another thing. It was, this is a marginal wind. He, uh, I had to get a shot off him before he got perfectly in front of the stand because if he got past that point and onto the neighbors, he would have winded me or would have got onto the neighbors and would have been no shot anyway. Yeah. So he ends up coming in perfect, hitting, I have a, a mock vine scrape there right at 40 yards. Hits the scrape like, like you see on TV. And <laughs> once he turns back, he uh, stops and looks out into the neighbor's field, just checking for any activity out there. I come to full draw, uh, arranged about 37 yards, settled in and let it go. And this deer matrixed my arrow like you would not believe. Just he dropped. he dropped about eight to ten inches. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, my bow right now, it's pretty loud. It's a Hoyt Nitrum Turbo, and it's louder than I would like it to be. So at forty yards, I feel like he heard it before it even got anywhere near him. Um, Damn. So he drops, and I just watch this nocturnal go right over his back. Yeah, and. Like you, you, you hear it all the time. The highest, the highest, the lowest, the lowest. I was yeah. like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't spook bad. He just bounded off to the neighbors, looked around, had no idea what uh, what was going on, and then went about his business. Yeah. So that sucks, man. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, that, that was a terrible feeling. But uh, so I mean, it was the first sit of the season, so I was like, "All right, he didn't get spooked." He's not king, so it could be worse, right? Right. Okay. So, man, so do you feel that that encounter, like, gave you confidence at all? Not necessarily about your shooting skills, right, or your bow, right, because you're saying that you had a, a bow that was that was loud and you thought that he hear, heard it and he he jumped the string pretty, pretty hard. What um, – but yeah, did that and that was you... my first shot at a deer also at uh, at that distance. So I didn't take into account aiming a little bit lower than I should have. I put it right on his vitals. Yeah. Um, but but you... it did give me a ton of confidence. Yeah. Because, like I said before, I had mowed these paths through the CRP on the edges, and he came out probably 100, 150 yards away in the CRP and took those trails right to me. Right to you. And so, so that – that was like, Jesus, this may work for a, a different buck, right? Yeah, yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that's, you know, you, you took some, you got something out of it, right? You, you gained a little bit more knowledge. Um, but I'll tell you what, man. Now, did, did you do anything after the fact that that bow was loud? Did you try to silence it at all? Did you go back and reshoot it? Uh, did you do anything to maybe prevent that from happening again? Um, what I did was I immediately went online that night and I was w looking at videos um, for farther distance shooting and um, basically took away that, okay, I need to hold much lower than I did um, if I'm going to be shooting at 40 yards plus. Okay. So you wanted to anticipate the drop then? Like, does that make you nervous at all? Because for me, I've done that before, 
I like on, on some deer where on a doe, you know, a couple does where I'm like, okay, maybe this, maybe this deer drops and I aim a little low and then I, she doesn't drop. And then, uh, I, I shanked a shot and I just miss, I, I miss low or other times where like for me, I, I don't anticipate anything. Like I just let my practice do, do at, like, I don't know. Like I, I practice at holding a pin on a certain target and I don't anticipate anything dropping because you can't really practice that. Right. Right. So my kind of mindset was that I was going to continue, like, like you're saying, get my practice concrete, but I was going to, instead of putting it, you know, in the middle of the boiler room, I was going to put it, you know, middle bottom of the heart. And if they drop, then, you know, you're still catching two lungs, hopefully. Yeah. I gotcha. That was my mindset. At oh, least. Okay, cool. All right. So you get out of the, the stand or whatever you, you know, you go about your life. One was the next, I mean, did you have any other encounters with that deer that gave him an opportunity or did he dodge you the rest of the time? Uh, I sat the next afternoon cause it was the exact same wind, exact same weather. And he came in again, but he held up at about 50 yards and just watched some does and then took a big wide circle around that area in the CRP and went off into the neighbors. So I didn't actually get a shot at him that second day. Okay. And then after that, I did not see that deer in person for how long just again, ever period. I didn't see him again. I, yeah, I saw him on camera here and there, but I did not see that deer in person. Okay. Again. It's crazy how and he did not show up this weekend, uh, this, this season. So, okay. So maybe someone else shot him, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well, it, that's crazy that an encounter like that with a negative stimulation for that animal led to him. I bet you he didn't come through that that down that trail or hit that scrape again for I don't know quite some time. If I had to guess, um, or did he? Yeah, come? it was it was a while. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, it's crazy how they're able to think like that, right? They're like, shit, I don't know what happened, but I'm not going through there again. Yeah. So, all right. Um, wh- what happened after that in 2019? Uh, after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a little break. It's only been two sits, but I'm going to let the property lay. I hadn't gotten any more daylight pictures of King, but uh, he had been on camera throughout the night. Um, and it was warm, so that's my wife's favorite time to hunt. So I said, all right, let's try to get you on a buck. Um, so we sat our, we, we just purchased a new property. We were putting a house on at the time. And there were a couple good two and three year olds, nothing crazy, but you know, she, she was adamant that she wanted to sit over our new property. And I was like all about it. So, uh, we sat there a couple days and on the second day we had probably the most incredible hunt to this date. Um, we're sitting in a double stand. Uh, I'm videoing her. We have a bunch of does come in. She whacks this beautiful doe, perfect double lung, drops within sight. We're, you know, high-fiving, hooting, hollering. And then a black bear comes in. Oh, wow. She was going to try to get, yeah. So she was going to try to get a shot off at the bear as well. Um, that didn't end up panning out. But then we're packing up right before dark and boom, here comes this buck. And she starts shaking, gets all excited. She's like, all right, I'm going to shoot this deer. And I was like, really? You know, because I'm used to her passing all the deer. 
uh, when, I, when hunting together. So she's yeah, she's all about it. So she draws back, puts it right in the boiler room, drops this deer in his tracks. Oh dang! So yeah, <laughs> uh, she puts another arrow in him, and and that, that was the end of it, um, right in front of us. And it was just the greatest hunt ever. Uh, you know, personally, I've never even shot two deer in an evening, so she yeah. was jacked for the rest of the season that's awesome man well and and you got to see a black bear which i don't know for that part of the state is that a normal occurrence or is that is that rare oh yeah we have way too many black bear okay so all right so you you get to see them sometimes yeah we see them very often all right (laughs) i gotcha even on the property with the other deer or just this this newer piece yeah the other property as well um it's it's bad when when they put the corn in especially because the, the bear will move in and push all the deer out and they'll just live in the corn all summer and eat the corn okay i gotcha uh so isn't new york like one of those states that's like people are trying to ban bear hunting now um well new york hasn't jumped on that bandwagon yet but i think jersey's back into it that's that's one of the reasons why we have so many black bears here in this area at least of new york because like i said we're right I'm five minutes from New Jersey uh, as the crow flies and they had a bear ban, I think for about five years yeah. until a few years ago. And they just overflowed into this area and they're, they're very abundant. There's honestly, it's rare for us not to kill a bear every season. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Um, so King back to the King story now, right? Your wife has this incredible, <clears throat> incredible hunt. Uh, your mind probably now is starting to shift back to where's king at what's he doing yep yep absolutely so, uh, so where is king me and my dad end up he he's still on the property still showing up uh it's getting towards the end of october now uh so he's starting to really show up nice and consistent um with my work schedule um scrambling to find the right days and the right weather on my off days and it just doesn't pan out until the end of October. So I end up sitting, uh, it was the 23rd of October. I end up seeing King in the CRP, probably about 500 yards out in front of me, stand up at about six o'clock and I'm watching him, watching him, watching him. Oh, it had to be earlier than that, actually, 530, because I watched him for about 45 minutes, his rack just coming up and down in the CRP, up and down, up and down. He's getting closer. He's hopping field to field to field, but he's taking his sweet time, and it's starting. To, we're starting to lose light. Uh, and I'm, he's doing the same exact thing the other buck did when I got the shot off at him, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this is going to happen again. Yeah. You know, that just doesn't happen. Um, so, sure enough, he comes in. It's October 24th. He starts uh, seeing some does moving off to my left, coming through that transition area, going off into the neighbors. And he gets interested. He comes in. He starts lip curling. Um, he's pushing them around, pushing them around. And he's at this point, he's same spot, 40 yards. He hits that scrape again. Um, he's lip curling all over the place and gives me a perfect broadside. I draw back again, 40 yards, put it right on him. A little bit lower this time, uh, let it go, and to me, looked like a pass-through because I had the nocturnals and turned off. So what ended up happening was when I shot, it hit him in the shoulder, and it turned off the nocturnal. Okay. So from what, 
So from what I could see, I was like, oh, my arrow passed right through him. Perfect. Yeah. You know, starts running back on the trail that he came. I'm all jacked up, about to fall out of the tree stand. He's running off, running off. I put my binos up and watch him running straight away from me, and I could see the arrow sticking out. And I'm like, no way. Like how much arrow? You know, I mean, I mean, I got maybe six, eight inches penetration, if that. But sometimes, right? So, but sometimes, and this happened to me last year, where I hit my deer, and if I was to base everything just on what I saw and the deer running away, that that there was maybe only I would have said, oh my god, there's four inches of penetration there. Oh my god, four inches. I, I'm this deer is gonna live, right? But when yep. when that arrow hits and it goes in deep right and then they can do that when they load and they take off that pushes that arrow out sometimes right i'm not every time but right. but sometimes right. so me knowing that i go well hey I, maybe i got a little bit more and then i you know long story short i was able to walk up on on where i hit him and i saw blood instantly so was this that kind of gut reaction where you're like oh like oh shit i didn't get anything or well maybe he, he kicked the arrow out as he was running away well, initially I thought I was good. Uh, he was, he ran off hurt. He was dragging that leg and his tail was doing the, the crazy dance yep. and he ran off for about, you know, he, he was hurting when he was running. Yeah. Uh, but he got about 150 yards out in front of me into the CRP and just stopped. And the more I'm watching him, I'm like, he's going to go down right there. No problem. Going down, going down, going down, going down. Nope. I watched them all the way till Check dark. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. Yeah. And I'm just watching him, and he's just standing there. And I'm like, no way. So that's when the gut-wrenching started. So I'm watching him out there. I watch him as much as I can until it gets dark. The moon comes up. It's real bright, so I can still see his antlers. So I'm just watching him as long as I can. Yeah. So he stays there, and eventually I can't see him. So I'm like, all right, I'm backing out. Didn't even check the impact site, nothing. I was like, I'm getting out of here. Uh, so I end up backing out. Uh, come back the next morning, look at the impact site. And I ha what I do, I, I have a little handy cam with me. So I have a little YouTube channel. But I tend to, if I'm not making a video, I'll still record the shot just so I can replay it and, you know, get my best option afterwards. Um, if, you know, what, what should I do? Yeah. So I go back, I tell my wife, she gets all crazy and I'm like, no, no, don't get excited yet. <laughs> so we play the video all night long, back and forth, back and forth, slow-mo, freeze frames. Um, and it's, it's honestly from the video, it was, it's either 50, 50, either I caught something good or he's good to go. Okay. So gave him the night. Uh, went back in about, I want to say, 10 o'clock with a couple of buddies. Um, we find some pretty good blood, a uh, little bit, maybe 10 yards after the impact site, and follow good blood to where we watched him stand. Find the arrow where I last saw him, and follow blood for about another two, 300 yards in the CRP. Okay. So at this point... I'm like, man, he could be anywhere in this 90 acres right now. We yeah. kind of lose blood a little bit. So I mark last blood and then go back out. That night, uh, all day long, I'm calling uh, deer search guys, volunteer 
dog guys, anyone I could find. Yeah. And I eventually got a guy to come out. Um, he, he did a great job for us, uh, but we never end up finding him. Yeah. Did you find any beds or uh, follow, follow his, find any more blood further past where he was standing? Uh, after my buddies left, I went back and to, to last blood and I just got on my hands and knees and followed every hoof print. Yeah. And, you know, I could find, you know, touching the hoof print, it was still dewy in the morning cause it kept pretty moist overnight. I, I would just touch each hoof print and I'd get some blood in some and I'd be like, yes, all right, keep going, keep going. But at, at yeah. you know, at some point it just faded off. Yeah. Uh, even that, that afternoon before the, uh, the dog came, I had a buddy who, He's got, uh, he's real good with the drone. So I was like, but I need to borrow your drone. And I flew it all over the property, just over all the fields to see if I could see a white belly and, uh, no dice on that either. No. God dang, man. No. So yeah. y- you didn't find him. Didn't find him. Didn't find him. So at this point, then a guy has to have a guy come to Jesus with himself. And he says, well, he's alive now, but that doesn't mean he's going to be alive um, at the end of this whole ordeal, right? Um, right after right. you shot him, did you think he was going to die or did you like, based off of the evidence that you had based off the shot, the camera, the blood, did you think he was going to survive or did you think that it, um, that he was just going to f- crawl into some hole and die? Honestly, I, some days I thought, you know, he's dead definitely somewhere on the neighbor's field or something. And then other days I was like, no, he survived. No problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was one of those back and forth that was, you know, just praying every day. Come on, show back up on camera. Where are you? Yeah. Okay. So he, he doesn't show up uh, for the rest of the, the season, correct? No. No. So here's where it turns. Okay. Uh, he, I had a buddy, I have a good buddy from, uh, my time in the military. He's down in Jersey. Uh, he comes up to my place to hunt once a, once a year for a week with me during the rut. So he came up first week in November. Um, I start one of these days where we're going through the property, uh, checking cameras, setting, making sure stands are good to go for him for the next morning. Um, we're pulling out in the truck and, Across the road, up up the hill, maybe fifty yards. There he is, standing with a doe. Oh boy! So he looks. Yeah. He did, I about shit myself. <laughs> did you see any type of wound on him, like significant, or were you just like, dude, he's alive and well? I was. He'll I was looking it. looking real hard, but I could not tell because he wouldn't move. But there was a doe bedded right next to him. Okay. So it was the first week of November. I was thinking he must be all right if he's with this doe locked on so hard. And I mean, he saw the truck, he was looking right at us the whole time, but he yeah. didn't move. And I couldn't see a wound because the CRP he was in across the field was up to his neck. Yeah. Uh, I could just see his head and his rack. Okay. Um, so, uh, so he's alive. And did this give you any more hope for the rest of the season? Oh yeah. I was jacked. Yeah. I, I thought he, you know, some days I thought he was dead somewhere and that that's what killed me the most that, you know, a deer like that with so much history that it's just going to go to waste. That was the worst feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, man. Uh, all right. So after that, uh, 
you know, you got a little hope now that he's alive. Any other sightings, any other trail camera pictures? I mean, did you change your strategy for him then at that point? Uh, at that point, I just hoped, you know, that he would make it back over to our property. Um, so the week comes and goes uh, with my buddy up there. Never do see him again. Uh, don't get any more pictures until November 15th. You get a cell camera picture of him in the back of the property where he usually never is during the season, uh, where he's his, basically where he summers. And that was the the day before I was scheduled to leave for a wolf hunt uh, up in Alberta. So I see this picture and I'm like, to my wife, I'm like, I have to go out tonight. And she's like, what? You're le- all your stuff is packed. You're leaving in the morning. I'm like, I have to go. <laughs> So she's like, all right, you know, good luck. So I go out. I never do see him. Uh, long story short, that was the last picture I got of him ever was back in the back end of the property there. And honestly, he didn't look too healthy. Yeah, like skinny and worn out. Yeah, he was kind of hunched over and he just he looked, you know, he was a big brute of a buck and he just looked, you know, withered down. Um I can only imagine with if he was running does plus his injury, you know, how, the shape he was in. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's too bad. That's that's that sucks. But I'll tell you this: this is the kind of stuff that nobody shares, right? And yeah. I've I've lost deer before. I mean, I I put an arrow in a two hundred and ten inch buck, and uh, he was shot by the neighbor the next year. Right. Uh, I know plenty of guys who shoot deer. I mean, hell, we share that some of these stories on this podcast and and uh, yep. as as much as you want to see a success and, and all that stuff, this is kind of a harsh re- reality when it comes to, uh, you know, especially bow hunting. Right. Um, so with all yep. that said, then, was there something that you took away from the 2019 season that, uh, you know, even in somewhat of a failure, uh, I mean, from a strategy standpoint, you did everything right, right. From a killing a deer, there's a little bit left there, right. The story may not be completed at that point, but was there anything that you took away from that season or from that interaction or from that deer that made you a better hunter, a better archer, um, just better all around? Yeah, I mean, I thought that for sure I had done all I could do to set myself up for success and be the best that I could um, at the time. But I, I was like, man, I got to double down. You know, I just, there's no way I, that I could let that ever happen again. Just that, that feeling that, you know, and, and, you know, maybe another hunter ended up shooting them. But in this area, you know, I'm, I'm pretty close with the, the neighbors. And, you know, a deer like that would have been all over yeah the papers you know yeah well so i'm I'm... that sucks and it sucks but you know uh the the uh i guess the silver lining to this whole story was 2020 ended up being a success and you were able to uh um harvest a, a good deer this past season right yeah yeah that's right cool well, congratulations on that. Um, sounds like you're figuring out your property. It sounds like uh, you're really starting to refine and um, 
you know, micro out, micro adjust all of your strategy to, to hunting. And it sounds like it's bringing you success. And uh, sometimes uh, I know I've been there, man, you got to sometimes learning the hard way is uh, a necessary evil to becoming a, a better bow hunter. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but it definitely, uh, makes you work harder. Yeah. That's a fact. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat with us and, and share this story and, uh, good luck in the 2021 season, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you as well. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books, huge shout out to today's guest. Um, Wasp Archery, Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Lone Wolf. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Uh, we have some new and exciting uh, uh, sponsors coming up later in the summer and uh, at the end of next month. So uh, I'm pretty excited about working with you know just more awesome brands uh, and uh, they pay the bills. And I keep putting out this content and promoting those brands. And it's the cycle, you know, that's the business side of it. So Last but not least, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you who continue to download this podcast every single time I launch. And uh, that means a lot to me. And that tells me that I'm doing something right, right? I have uh, the Sportsman's Nation is doing great. The Nine Finger Chronicles is doing great. And uh, just look for more interesting, uh, thought-provoking, hunting strategy talk, uh, conservation talk, uh, just talk talking with people who are equally as passionate about deer hunting and hunting in general and and just the outdoors and conservation. And uh, man, there's a lot of awesome people out there. And uh, my plan is to get those people on the podcast and share their story and share how average Joes are being successful and all people are being successful through hunting hard and, and, you know, identifying uh, things that you may have not thought of before. And that's what makes all of us successful is when we share that information. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download uh, your podcast. And last but not least, uh, Instagram, Facebook, follow, share, click, like, hashtag, whatever. We'll talk to you next time. Mm